Are you an author who's tired of the long waits and low royalties? Exact Rush is here to change the game. We specialize in publishing with precision, and we get your book to market in just three to six months, not years. But we're not just about books. We also support your photography, web design, and content creation needs. Our focus ranges from spirituality to pop culture, and we're excited about our diverse lineup of upcoming releases. So if you're ready to keep more of your hard-earned money and get published faster, Exact Rush is your ticket. Visit exactrush.com and turn your creative dream into a profitable reality today. Tap into your most original thinking, organize your ideas, and create the opportunities to launch your creative work. Unlocking your world of creativity with best-selling author and brand innovator, Mark Stinson. Welcome back, friends, to our podcast, Unlocking Your World of Creativity. And I really appreciate all the comments and reviews and suggestions that we're getting from listeners as we travel around the world talking to creatives about how they get inspired and how they organize ideas and, of course, how they gain the confidence and the connections to launch their work out into the world. And it's that launching today that we're going to focus on. And if you know me and if you know this podcast, we talk about coffee shops a lot. And we talk about having coffee as a way of uh, doing business and getting to know people. And what's perfect is that I'm today talking to a husband and wife team that focuses on how to run profitable coffee shops. And my guests are Claire and Andrew Bowen. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for having us on. Thank you very much for inviting us on. Excited to be on. It's going to be terrific. And we're right in the middle of the UK in Oxford today. Yeah, thank you. It's always good to stamp our passport in the UK. Folks, the book that this couple has written, The Daily Grind, and I love that title, but I love the subhead even more, How to Open and Run a Coffee Shop That Makes Money. It's in all caps, right on the cover. I think anybody can open a coffee shop, as you've probably determined, but how many coffee shops can really make money? What's been your experience about how people go into this business and what their expectations are, maybe vis-a-vis making money, and then what is their experience? A lot of people think that it's quite easy to open a coffee shop. In fact, it's the lower barrier to entry in the hospitality market. It doesn't cost that much to open a, a coffee shop as opposed to a restaurant. And a lot of people go into coffee shops and they think, oh, they're making an absolute fortune. There's a queue out the door. There's lots of people is buzzing. They're making a fortune. But the reality is not everyone makes money from opening a coffee shop. And a lot of people lose money. So that's our job is to make sure that then the percentage that makes money. I think part of the problem is, Mark, is that it is very easy and very quick to open a coffee shop. But it's even easier to lose a ton of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, once you've opened, if you don't get the basics right, if you don't get the fundamentals right, then you are you might as well take your money and burn it in the car park. It'll be just <laughs> as quick. There you go. Let's have a little role play then, because uh, literally, maybe as uh, we connected and I uh, started reading your book, I had in mind opening a coffee shop. I said, I love coffee shops. I love the experience. I love the service hospitality side of it. I would also love to have some music playing uh, in my coffee shop. And so let's say I had this in mind and I ran into you two on the street and I said, hey, how fortuitous that I meet up with you because I'm going to open a coffee shop. 
What would you say directly back to me? First thing we'd say is, what are you going to be famous for? <laughs> the days of opening a coffee shop and selling nice coffee and nice cake and a, and a sandwich uh, are pretty much gone. And I think the successful ones are the ones that are famous for something. Somewhere, if you like music, do you want to open a music venue cafe? Or are you going to be a mother and baby or even a dog cafe or a cat cafe? Are you going to be famous for something? Are you going to be the place that is the hub of the community? And that getting people to understand that why they want to open, I think, is the first thing we challenge them. There's no point in just taking over a unit, putting a nice coffee machine in it, and expecting people to roll up because there's more to it. You're not you're not selling coffee in a coffee shop, believe it or not. You're selling happiness. You're encouraging people to come. People come there for lots of different reasons, and only one of them is the physical act of drinking a cup of coffee, the meeting, the socialising, the chatting, having a business call, just a place to relax place to meet family, place to work, place to be inspired. There's loads of other reasons that underpin that, and you need to get those things right as well. And the other thing we say to you is you don't go too small. Mm-hmm. So in terms of metrics, your sales, and let's see if you've got, it, it, to some respects, it's the same with the drive through Your sales are capped at how many customers you have and how much times how much they spend. So the number of customers you can have is capped by how many seats you've got or how fast you are on the drive-thru. So working that out, there's no good having 10,000 people an hour walking past your coffee shop and thinking, wow, that's going to be really busy. If you could only serve 10 of them an hour. I I love that, especially what are you going to be famous for, for sure, because I'm always an advocate of good positioning and exclusivity, but for sure that you're selling happiness, that at this stage of the game in coffee shops, it's very little to do with the coffee, as you say because you can get a good coffee just about anywhere. But look at the contradiction of some of the famous things you said. If we're going to be the mom and baby coffee shop, then we're probably not going to be the quiet place to work. So you really can't be all things to all people, can you? Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. And that's a a very common mistake people make. They want to please everybody. And it's absolutely impossible to do that. As you just said, if you have want to attract mums and babies, you're not going to attract the workers who want to be quietly on their laptops. So choosing who you want to serve, your avatar, as we call it, your ideal customer is vital before you go down the line of choosing where to open and what you're going to sell. So you've got to choose why you want to do it and then who you want to serve. Because we we always say you wouldn't open a vegan restaurant in the middle of a meat market. (laughs) Your customer, your ideal customer has to be outside your door. Yeah, people are a bit lazy when it comes to coffee. It needs to be either close to where you are or en route to where you're going. It needs to be exceptional. We don't operate five-star restaurants where you're going to take a, where you're going to, book six months in advance and travel 100, 100 miles to as an event it's something it's almost a, a necessity of life it's almost sort of something like air and mobile mm-hmm. phone no it's something we take for granted but you want but people ain't going to travel far for it your location is critical yes let's touch on that then because uh i was surprised in the book you spent quite a bit of uh, real estate in the book talking about location Selecting the location, leasing the location, dressing up and designing location, location is quite famous as a real estate term, but I never put that much into it when I thought about coffee shops. But you've really focused on this and had quite an analysis of how to choose the right location. Well, it's as you quite rightly say, it's the biggest chapter in our book. 
once you've de- once you've decided on what you're going to be famous for and who your customer is going to be, location is comes next. And we wrote the book uh, in a logical um, way that how we would have liked to have had a book written for us <laughs> when we first started to think, how do I work out in order rather than going down rabbit holes? How do I work out in order what I have to do to be successfully opened. And location is key. We see so many people open in the wrong location where their customers aren't there and they wonder why it's not working. Or as Andrew alluded to earlier, open too small. They want to open small because they think it's a safer option. They're not going to lose as much. The rent is cheaper. Yeah, Yeah, the rent is cheaper. It's not going to be so fearful for them to sign on the dotted line. But what we want to do is for people to look at the location for them. It may be a fantastic location for somebody else, but what you've got to do is look at a location and decide for yourself which location is best. And we've put together a 74-point checklist where you can analyse each location and so you can work out which is the best location for you. Yeah, I suppose when you look at the big boys, the Starbucks, the Dunkins of the world, they I've got literally hundreds of people in their estate department and they've they've got hundreds of realtors out there looking for sites and they've got a very clear plan of what they want, a very clear set of rules before they'll open somewhere and they'll check the demographic and they'll check the average earnings per capita and per household, all that sort of stuff. But what we try to do with the book is because the average independent or most independents have either haven't thought of that or even have got no idea of what goes on behind the scenes. So the whole purpose of that first chapter being so big and pushing it so much, second chapter, sorry, was that it, it would give the independents, who the guys that we work with, a, a head start really to give them, bring it back up to a level level playing field where, you know, because Starbucks haven't opened there, there's a reason why. I couldn't help but think of that because it used to be, hey, once a Starbucks opened, they never closed. So they just push through and figure it out. But that's not really the case anymore for these big chains. If it's not working, they shutter it. Yeah. I think when you see what they, unfortunately, they use their scale to take over an area. So what happened in London back in the sort of early 2000s is that they came in they bought up, they were on every single corner of every high street and the landlords loved them because they were paying more than the average. They basically upped the rents of, of all that sort of units, but ultimately they couldn't make them all work. So when the option came, when they squeezed out a lot of the existing competition, they were in a bit more monopolistic position and they were able to shut a few and they are very ruthless now. They took the opportunity during COVID to completely reassess their estate and close the ones that weren't, weren't washing their face much quicker than at the normal route when the lease comes to an end. Yes. And so that kind of uh, pressure on the independence that you work primarily with, what then, I love the fact that there is a 74-point checklist, by the way, and it's not 70, it's not 75, it's 74 points. <laughs> <laughs> we should have made one extra, really, 75, but 74 yeah, is... Yeah, that's, you know. the kind of, that's the kind of critique I get from editors, <laughs> and uh, you, know, so you can't think of one more, <laughs> but I think it's more memorable on this. But, but the fact that you have to have this rigor, 
and many times on our podcast, because we like to talk about creativity and oh, the design and the recipes and what we'll be famous for. But this kind of rigor of decision making is what we creatives need the most. Yeah. And I've got to say, I really enjoyed the, the most recent one with Shannon. Yeah. It really resonated because the things that she talked about, it's the importance of the look and the feel and the smell and the colors and the textures are all still important in a coffee shop, important, really important, which is people don't, again, they don't understand the importance of that. They might go somewhere and like it, but not quite understand why they like it. But the people that get it right do so much better than the guys that just make it up as they go along and just paint the walls red or and or not even think about the impact of colour. So that is, in, in terms of that creative thing, is really important to understand those nuances as well. So once you've got your site, let's make it look special because the better it looks, the better it feels, the more you can charge and the more customers you're likely to attract and the more people are going to like it without even knowing about it. There's a book called Gastrophysics from the guy, was it Charles Spence from the University of Oxford? who we know. And in there, it talks about the textures of food and the sort of crunch on your tongue and all that sort of things that make a difference. And we love all that because that's those tiny little things that make that can be the difference between okay and wow. When you have a chapter on wow service hmm. and service gets a, a tough rap these days. We are very critical. We post our reviews on uh, every platform we can. We have yeah. an opinion about everything about the service. Then you overlap. I, I had to combine these two chapters in my mind, though. But then you've got training and the nurturing of the people that provide the service. That's also a tough one for business people right now. Hiring, training, retaining uh, employees. Uh, what, what's the state of the state? Even since you've uh, wrote, written the book, I'm sure you're getting a lot of feedback from your uh, coffee shop owners. Actually, it's all over the news at the moment mm -hmm. with hospitality. People saying that it's really hard to get good people to work in hospitality. Uh, over here in the UK, we had Brexit where we came away from Europe. And so that did influence a lot with the workforce. However, what we say is if you employ the right people, you treat them well and you employ for the hospitality gene and you nurture those people, they're more likely to stay with mm. you. They'll get more likely to give good service. And in the long run, it's cost effective. If you pay as much as you possibly can and more and treat your team they're going to stay and they're going to do a good job. Yeah, it starts at the very top in terms of the culture. It goes it actually goes back to that why. Yeah. If you're a if you know who would want to work in a business that where the boss is constantly moaning about how good is how bad his people are, all that sort of stuff. And you hear it all over the time. I don't know where you hear it over there in the states, Mark. I'm sure you do. With business owners and moaning, I can't get people, and the people I get aren't really very good, and it wasn't yes. like it wasn't like that in the old days. But actually, that, that, to me, shouts as, as a really bad culture within that organization. And people won't put up for it anymore. You need that to get that culture right in your business before anything. And that goes back to that why. What you can think is people want to work for somewhere that they can go to the bar at the end of the night or at the family dinner and say, I work for these guys. And they go, wow, they're great. They don't want to go, to, they want to go home and say, I work for X. And they go, blooming egg. It's it, you've got to get that culture, and that, that's the thing. The labour turnover is such a hidden cost within a business. Totally. The, it's clear you mentioned this hospitality gene. 
I would love to know your tips and tricks for interviewing. Where do you put your hand to find that pulse? On the wrist of the prospective employee. It's it's going back to when I was a nurse and a midwife. I take the pulse, yeah. (laughs) No, the hospitality gene, as we like to call it, is you employ people for the gene rather than experience. So if somebody came to me and they smiled, they were eager to work. They didn't stand there with their arms crossed or leaning against the the bar. And they were looking to do things, clearing tables, just to interact with the customers. Now, I call that the hospitality gene because I can teach people how to make a fantastic cup of coffee, but I cannot teach the hospitality gene. You've either got it or you haven't. Nah, so good. Thanks for this advice. You're making me think about a lot of things before I open my coffee shop. I'll I'll definitely go through the 74 points. That is for sure. Listeners, my guests are Claire and Andrew Bowen in Oxford, UK. They are coffee shop and cafe consultants, especially to independents. So we're learning a lot about how to open and run a coffee shop. But now I'd like to turn the page to the book itself and a little bit about the uh, craftsmanship and the process. You've been doing this consulting work. And uh, at some point you said, or someone suggested, you really ought to write all this down and put it in a book. What was the impetus for you getting this book going? I think it started initially we had, when we had our, when we have our business, we have lots of people come to us asking us for help. Friends of a friend's. Pick your brains. I need, like you, I think you're open a coffee shop. Can I have a chat? Can I have a coffee? Can I have a beer? Mm-hmm. So we had all that. And we had probably seen at least one or two people a week at one stage. It was a lot. So we thought, actually, I probably need to do this. Is, then, I, then we started doing a little bit of blogging on LinkedIn. And we got a fantastic feedback from that, actually. And then we thought, actually, let's write a book about it. So we just simply, we went on a course, didn't we? Yeah, we went on a book writing course, to be honest with you. <laughs> and we decided that let's put it down. Let's think back to how we were when we first started. What would we like to have known? What would we have liked to have read in a book? that would have guided us so that we didn't make mistakes. And so we wrote it together. Now, that doesn't mean to say that we we sat in the same room at the same computer typing. <laughs> Andrew is gets up early. He likes to rise early. So he used to get up at five o'clock and do two hours of tapping away at the computer and then put it into Dropbox. And then I woke up a bit later on at seven <laughs> o'clock and then took over and then I carried on typing typing away. So we wrote it together, but we weren't actually physically in the same room typing. Sure. And that worked really well. And within six months we were published. Yeah, we put a we put a deadline on it and I think the target was to do five hundred words a day. Obviously we did a the overview of it. We did a, yes. a big mind map of what we were going to do and just chunked our way through it. We tried not to be too complicated, but we try to inc- cover as many of the things that you don't know because there are so many of those in there that people don't even think about. So we want to, to make people aware of stuff, but without making it a, I don't know, a, a textbook, a dry textbook it, mm-hmm. that went on 50, uh, 500,000 words. Yes. It does have very practical language, but you're right. It's not a dry didactic instruction manual by any stretch. And it's interesting you uh, describe this. Okay, you start it, I'll complete it, we'll go back and forth. It it doesn't have that sort of choppy voice. And that's why I was curious as to the sort of writing craftsmanship, because I think it uh, all blended together very well. 
Well, we've we've been married for thirty six years. Yeah. I think we've mor- we've we probably morphed into each other. <laughs> well, or as my wife says, we can finish each other's sentences anyway. So just start writing the book and let it flow. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we were very lucky. We had a friend of ours who has a fantastic eye for detail and she offered to be the proofreader so she did all the proofreading for us and when she came back with the first proof i think she wished she hadn't bothered because i'd never seen so many post-it notes in a draft <laughs> we got through it went through everything it was brilliant so we're really grateful for that as well because she that was another voice that added to it that doesn't make sense that, all that sort of stuff so having somebody like that with that real eye for detail helped too yeah and you said you had a deadline but when did you know it was done you said Okay, this is ready. We're ready to hit the send button. Send to publish. I think that we got to the point where we've probably done seven or eight proof copies and eventually got the point where that actually is done and got the uh, the proper cover completed, mm-hmm. which then brought it to life. And I think when we start, I think in my, my in my heart, we we spent a lot of time telling people we were going to write a book. So we were about six months before we started writing, we were telling people we were going to write the book. Then we were saying to people we were writing the book, and then eventually it was like we've written the book. And mm-hmm. I think once we've once we got that stage that we've written it and it's published and it's out there, then it, it felt completely different. Because you speak to so many people saying I'm writing a book or I want to write a book, but actually having written it. Um, and published it was a big milestone for us. Yes. Yes. And then there's always the marketing, the dissemination, the publicity. You also have a consulting business, so that helps uh, in terms of the dissemination. But what sort of marketing tips uh, could you share with us? Um, I think you just try and build up a bit of an audience. I'd already built up a little bit of a following on LinkedIn. We we started doing some blogs and, and, and started a list of subscribers for our weekly sort of newsletter so we have probably five or six hundred into not not thousands five or six hundred we published it through that got a few people again got a few people gave gave people some advanced copies so they could give us a bit of a critique on it which is quite helpful got a bit of building a bit of building there got and then i think we looked at that we bought a book called our first thousand copies which we recommended in there gives some real good strategies about how you can market your book and we just followed those strategies so one of the things that we wrote to a few people in our business that we admired and offered them a free copy of the book and some of those guys had podcasts some of them had other sort of media or, or followings and a few of them picked it up and helped us get known a little bit we we appeared on a few podcasts in the very early days about five five years ago and that that helped as well and we just kept it going and we haven't we haven't stopped the marketing as such, it's passive, it's quite passive marketing, but it's not hard sell, but we try to gather as many reviews as possible. I think we've got 538 reviews now on Amazon, which, you know, for a small oh, that's uh, fantastic. book yes. is, is very good. And that's something we've always tried to encourage people. If you, people say to, I love your book, and we say, actually, do me a favor, give us a five-star review on Amazon. <laughs> we never miss an opportunity, do we? No. For people to say, to, to ask them. To, because we know from restaurant, from our cafe business, how important it was to get reviews, online reviews, so that people came to visit us. It was very close to our heart. We used to agonize over any bad reviews we had in the shops, in the coffee shops, and, and try and get as many people as we could to give us good reviews. So we just continued that from the sort of restaurant side to the sort of offline side, I suppose. That's true. Well, what's next for you, Andrew? Claire, what, uh, what are you working on now? And what do you see over the horizon? 
we were talking this morning, we should write another book. Yeah. There you go. I, love it. I was hoping you'd say that. I didn't want to put you on the spot, but I think you have a sequel. We have. We've written for a magazine called Boughton's Coffee House in the UK for the last five years. And we've got, I think we've probably got 50,000 words already. It's just a matter of making sure they're in in the right sort of order and down together with something rather than just use the next chapter. So I think we've got a lot of content out there. We've created a lot of content and kept up to date with stuff as well. So uh, I think that's our probably our next big project for the winter. I love that. You'll love to uh, rewind a little bit. About four episodes ago, I spoke with an author who wrote a murder mystery set in a corporate office of a coffee uh, franchisee or franchise operation. The blend of her work in coffee shops and this sort of fictional murder mystery, I, lo- I loved it. I said, no, is, none of this is true, right? She oh, no, I even changed all the names. <laughs> <laughs> even though it's uh, close and you can definitely guess what she's uh, riffing on. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. We haven't, luckily, we haven't had any deaths in our coffee shops. So yes. <laughs> we, well, uh, uh, just, just some really stressful odors, I think. That's what we've got to try and stop them heart attacks or... Uh, nervous breakdowns that's our main objective in life really because it is we have seen a lot of people open up open their dream coffee shop and then fail or 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 run away six months to a year later with their tail between their legs never seen again quite burnt by the experience and our our the reason we do what we do is purely to you know prevent people out doing that sort of stuff because as we said at the very beginning it's too easy to open a coffee shop yes Let's take it full circle then to back to the beginning of our conversation, because there are a lot of people who do love hospitality. They might want to open a coffee shop, but yeah, and you mentioned uh, Shannon Pearson, who has the hospitality rental company, but a lot of people want to open their business. Give us some words of inspiration and encouragement, or at least direction of what we need to think about as we launch. Oh, I think be very clear on your why the simon cynic stuff be very clear on that what you want to do what you're going to be famous for very clear what your target market is very clear on what makes you happy and also be clear about what the end game is for you Um, because there's no point in putting all this hard work into something and after 10 years of graft be left with nothing to sell or Mm. or nothing to pass down Uh, so it's you need to be really clear on what you want to achieve And I'd add to that, before you start, as you say, get the end game in mind before you start, but to choose the right business partner. Mm. We've seen so many people hit problems when they've chosen, they pick the wrong business partner. You don't want a clone of yourself. You want a yin and a yang. You want somebody to be opposite. Andrew and I have got different qualities. That's why we work well together. So choose very well. And before all the emotion starts, before you start, make sure you have an agreement, a legal agreement that you know what each of you are going to be responsible for. Yeah, partnership agreement. Yeah, thank you. That's the one I was looking for. You could tell he finishes my sentences. (laughs) A partnership agreement so that you don't go into it and expect the same out of it, even though one person is putting more effort in than the other. Very good. Very helpful. Listeners, I think we've gathered a lot of uh, great insight from our guests today. They're authors of The Daily Grind, How to Open and Run a Coffee Shop That Makes Money. 
Let's emphasize that because yeah. we may be creative, but we all deserve to profit from our creativity. And that's a constant theme on this podcast is don't undersell yourself. You've got a lot of value in our creative work. Andrew, Claire, thanks for being on the show. Really enjoyed talking with you and learned a lot. No, Thank it's, you. It's been an absolute pleasure. And, uh, uh, if, and when, yeah, if and when I do open that coffee shop and get that guitar player in the corner, you'll be the first at the ribbon cutting. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much. Yeah, we look forward to we it. We very much look but, forward to it. Yeah. yeah, let us help you along the way. Should we? Before no, you, yes. Before, before you, you sign just... that lease agreement, yeah. <laughs> that, that would be helpful. We'll talk to you again, I'm sure. Well, listeners, come back again next time. We're continuing our around-the-world journeys. We're stamping our creative passports in all sorts of places to hear from creative practitioners, leaders, and experts on what we need to do to launch our work out into the world. We'll see you next time. Until then, I'm Mark Stenson, and we'll be unlocking your world of creativity. Unlocking your world of creativity with best-selling author and brand innovator, Mark Stinson. This program was produced by BSB Media, creators of IntelliKey Leadership Stories, Unlocking Your World of Creativity, and ThePeaceRoom.love. We've created a special offer just for listeners of the podcast. You can get the book, A World of Creativity, for a special price of $5.98 for paperback. And the Kindle version is only 99 cents. Go to mark-stinson.com to take advantage of this special offer.